Well, church, we are glad to be here with you this morning. This, the plan is that this is our final Sunday outside in the sun. Um, yes, which means you can set your sunblock aside just for beach days. You won't have to have your sunblock for church anymore, which I am looking forward to. But really, as we, as we look um, forward to um, moving inside, um, someplace we haven't been since, um, I believe, very beginning of March last year, um, I just want to stop and, and recognize that we have a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot to be thankful for as a community. Um, the fact that, one, we live in San Diego, which means that we had the opportunity throughout this pandemic to be outside, um, where I know a lot of church communities around um, the world and around the country lived in places where you actually experienced a winter um, and have spring where it, it rains a lot. And so being in San Diego, we had the amazing benefit of being able to gather together. Um, but beyond that, we, we have a lot to be thankful for as a community, um, we didn't lose any of our members here to COVID. I mean, that's, that's a huge thing to give thanks to God for, right? That's it. And the, the way that I have seen um, you guys gather together online throughout this pandemic, um, the, the awakened groups and Bible studies, uh, the way that you guys were bringing meals to people who were sick, um, caring for one another, that God was faithful to us this last year and a half, and his faithfulness was expressed uh, through the lives of the people that are gathered here around us. And so as we look forward to moving inside next week, um, let's make sure that we take time to reflect on God's goodness to us in the midst of a year that was difficult and painful and filled with a lot of sorrow, um, that in the midst of that, that God's presence continued to walk with us and he will continue to be with us uh, no matter what um, our tomorrows might bring. So this morning we are continuing in our sermon series um, in the, the letter to the Philippian church, the, the book of Philippians. And so this morning we get to look at um, probably one of the most famous passages in Philippians, um, one of the most studied passages in the New Testament. Um, so many different theologians and pastors have written about this one section that we're going to read together. Um, it's a, a poem all about Jesus Christ. And it's this poem that is placed here in the middle, the center of Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And as he places this poem here in the center, it's almost as if um, he's trying to help us see that Jesus is the center of it all by centering his letter around this, this gem, around this gem describing Jesus Christ. And so we'll see in this, this poem so many different um, themes and ideas that Paul is weaving throughout the rest of his letter all of his different arguments and things that he's wanting to communicate to the church, all rotating around Jesus Christ as the center. 
And as we, as we look at this, this passage in Philippians 2, we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11 if you want to pull it up on your phone or in your paper Bible. Um, but as we look at this, we realize that this, this section is, is dense. This section has so much good theology, so much good um, description of who Jesus is and what he's done. But the reality is that as much as Paul wanted to uh, describe and inform for us who Jesus was, there was a bigger purpose than mere theology in him including this in his letter. That Paul had more in mind than just us thinking right about Jesus. But he includes this here because he wants the picture of Jesus Christ, the reality of his life, to transform us and for our lives to be patterned after the life of Jesus that's described here in this section. There's a theologian, Gordon Fee, that wrote that there is no genuine life in Christ that is not at the same time by the power of the Holy Spirit being regularly transformed into the likeness of Christ. That, that we can't have life in Jesus without being transformed into his likeness. And so Paul includes this theologically rich and deep passage because he wants us to be transformed into the very likeness of this amazing Jesus that he describes. He wanted the community of believers who were going to read this letter um, to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, to have the same attitude as Jesus, to have his very same attitude among them, to be able to think like Christ so that they could act like Christ as well. And so Paul presents for um, his first readers and for us two ways of living, two ways of living, uh, the first being that of, of selfish ambition and vain conceit. The passage that we looked at last week, when we looked at verse 3, that talks about this, this selfish ambition and vain conceit. And then the second way of life that he offers to us is following Jesus and the incarnate way of life. That we could either choose the way of selfish ambition and vain conceit or the way of Jesus Christ and his incarnation. To be self-centered or Jesus-centered to pattern our lives after the way of the world or pattern our lives after the way of Jesus. And so that first way of living in, in verse 3 talks about being self-centered. Having, having lives that are all about selfish ambition, uh, rivalry. It's this idea of people dividing up into groups. Uh, divide, dividing up into groups um, so, and then having fighting and factions between us, ambition for our own self-gain and self-prospering, wanting our group to be on top, to gain the advantage uh, so that we could have certain privileges and power. If this doesn't sound like the current reality of the world we live in, I don't know what else would describe it. But this, this idea of selfish ambition us versus them and trying to make sure that us, we gain social power, political power, theological or financial power. Humans have this drive within us to dominate over others, 
to dominate in our relationships, in our work, as countries and nations. But in Jesus, we're given this other new way of life, one that doesn't need to dominate others. But Paul is, is holding this up for us. Would we be those who live in this place of selfish ambition or live in the way of Jesus Christ? Do we live in this place of, of vain conceit? The idea here in these words, vain conceit, is like empty glory. Glory is this idea of, of something having weight or significance. And so he describes the, the problem of humanity that we are a people who are chasing after empty significance. That we want to be worth something. We want others to recognize us. We want others to give us, us value and recognition to see us as worthy. But the reality is that it's, that it's all empty. We're hungry for glory and significance, and we try to grasp onto it and hang onto it, and in the end, it leaves us empty. And instead, we see Jesus who embraces humanity's worst nightmare, to be seen and treated as nothing. To be seen and treated as small and insignificant. That we seek after glory and Jesus lays it all down. And so that second way of life that we can choose is the way of Jesus centered on him. And so we read in Philippians 2 starting in verse 5. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who, though it was, he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Paul writes, have this same mind among you. Think like Jesus. Have this same attitude in your relationships. This is how our interaction with one another should be. That it would follow in the pattern of Jesus Christ. So again, this passage isn't merely for cerebral discussion an exploration of who Jesus was, but this is something that should affect everything. It should affect all of our relationships. It should affect our marriages. It should affect our parenting. It should affect our friendships. It should affect the way we interact as siblings and children and uh, roommates and coworkers, that this life of Jesus, this mind that he had, that if we truly have this same mind among us, 
that it will transform every relationship and every interaction that we have. The second way of life is, if we choose it, is the incarnational way of living. The way of God choosing to put on human flesh, to become one of us, so that he could rescue, redeem humanity, so that he could give us a new way of being human in the world. And so this incarnational way of living that we're going to explore this morning is the way of knowing of emptying and of entering. The way of knowing, of entering, and of, em- of knowing and emptying and entering. In verse 6, we see that Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. Jesus knew who he was. He knew his worth. He knew his value. He was God. There was no doubt in his mind of who he was and what was due to him. It wasn't something that he needed to grasp or cling to or hang on to. He was the very form of God. That the very nature of God was the same nature that he had in him. He was equal to God. Paul is trying to make it really clear that Jesus Christ the one who who lived and died and rose again, this Jesus Christ is God himself. But even in Jesus knowing this, knowing his worth, his value, his glory, the, the significance of his life, he didn't see this as something that he needed to exploit. It wasn't something that he needed to hang on to for his own personal gain and advantage. Think of other heirs to a throne or heirs to an empire. Those who know their value and their worth as as one who should be ruling over everything. That often it's a place of exploiting their name, their position, for their own benefit, so that people would treat them a certain way. And instead, we get this this picture of Jesus Christ, who is God himself, but doesn't need to twist that in a way that would cause his own gain or his own benefit, to, to gain social status, to be expected to be treated a certain way. Like the idea of of people who say, don't you know who I am when they're not treated the way they want to be treated? Jesus Christ was constantly being mistaken for someone else. People didn't recognize his worth and his glory, but he didn't have a posture of walking around saying, don't you know who I am? Instead, he was able to let go of that to let go of the need of others treating him a certain way or honoring him so that he instead could come to serve. Jesus knew his worth and so he didn't need to cling to glory or significance. Vince and I had a a professor in college who, um, he was a a pretty popular and sought after speaker Um, and pastor, and so people would invite him to conferences and to come preach at their churches. 
Um, and there was a, a conference that he was at, and we heard the story from someone who, who saw this all unfold. And as everyone was waiting to be let into the conference room, everyone is lining up at the doors so they can try to get in and find a seat that's not in the very back. And they're just waiting there for quite a while for the doors to open. And, and suddenly a volunteer turns to a man in the crowd and says, you don't need to be standing here. What, what are you doing over here? You can come with me. We've got a special room for you. And it was our professor who had been invited to come and speak at this conference. And there was a whole room waiting for him, probably a green room filled with uh, food and drinks. Um, he didn't need to stand in the crowd. But our professor, he knew where his worth and value was. He didn't need to, to walk up to people and say, don't you know who I am? And try to, to force his way in through the crowd and the line. He, he had a sense of, of where his love, where his worth and value came from, and he didn't need to be recognized by the people around him to feel good about himself. But when we don't know ourselves, when we don't know our true value and where it comes from, as being people who are deeply loved and cared for by God, when we don't know this value, we cling to empty glory. We cling to false versions of ourselves that need validation constantly from the people around us, that we need worth, we need to hang on to worth from others to keep ourselves inflated. I think of those um, inflatable people that are outside of car dealerships, you know, and they, they only stay inflated as long as that air compressor is turned on. And we, I think, we sometimes are like those, those crazy inflatable people that we need validation from others constantly to keep our sense of worth inflated. And so every, um, every slight or snub from others uh, begins to deflate us. And so we walk around interacting in other, with others in a way that's trying to extract something from them. We need them to fill us up, to make us feel wanted, to make us feel worthwhile, to make us feel beautiful, to make us feel like we are worth something, that we're accepted and good enough. We spend so much of our time in relationship with others trying to keep this false sense of ourselves inflated. If we really knew who we were in Jesus Christ, if we, like Jesus, knew our worth and our value, then we could let that air compressor that be turned off that we could begin interacting with each other in a way that I don't need you to validate who I am, to feel okay and secure in the world. That instead we can just let all of that be turned off because our true value in Jesus Christ is something of weight and substance and that that will keep us inflated instead of seeking after this empty glory, this empty worth from others.
And so Jesus knew himself, and because he knew himself, he was able to empty himself. He knew who he was even if most of the world didn't recognize him, even if most of the world didn't realize who he was. And because he knew this truth, he could empty himself. He could let go. He didn't need to cling to his own glory, position, recognition, comfort. And so we see in verses 7 and 8 that he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Instead of exploiting life and relationships, instead of exploiting his position and power, Jesus could empty himself out, pouring his very life out for others. In contrast to the empty glory that we seek after, Jesus Christ emptied himself of the glory that he was due. And he didn't empty himself in a, in a sense that he stopped being God. He was true God of God, light of light. But instead, he knew who he was, and so he was free to give to others out of his true self, who he really was in God. He didn't need to be seen as the most important person in the world. This last week, um, I was hanging out with our, our two sons, Justice and Tiago, and Tiago just blurted out, I am the most important person in the world. And so, of course, then his brother, Justice, turns to him and said, well, I'm the third most important person in the world. And so I'm naturally curious of like, I can understand people thinking they're the most important. I don't understand being the third most important. So, okay, Justice, why are you the third most important person in the world? He said, well, God and Jesus, and then me. <laughs> I'm kind of shaking my head, trying to figure out how I'm going to respond to this in a, a good parental Christian way. Um, and before I can say anything, Tiago responds, um, then, then I'm Jesus Christ. And I said, what? He said, well, I'm one more important than my brother, so I must be Jesus. <laughs> and, then, and then Justice responds by shoving his foot in Tiago's face and saying, if you're Jesus, then clean my stinky feet. <laughs> and then he said to me, I just did that to see if he really was Jesus. The reality is Jesus, the most important person in the world, knows his worth and value. And so he reaches down and cleans our stinky feet. He doesn't need to walk around parading his worth. Instead, he can pour himself out on our behalf, taking on the very form of a slave, a person with no rights. A person who was treated as less than everyone else around them. Jesus Christ willingly took on that position to care for us, to serve us, and not only that, but to sacrifice his very life on our behalf. While other rulers lorded over their subjects, Jesus came in the form of his creation, in the form of a slave, 
in order to serve and care for the world. And my iPad just turned off because it's way too hot out here. And so Jesus emptied himself. He gave everything that he was for us. Can you imagine if we could live that same way? If in our relationship with one another, we could pour ourselves out, that we don't need to cling on to our own fragile egos, but instead could lay it all down and not only serve people, but have them treat us like a servant and that we'd be okay with that because that's the way that Jesus has shown us. And so then as Jesus, first he knew himself, which allowed him to empty himself, which in turn gave him the opportunity to enter into our very lives, to enter into this world, to experience life as we experience life. Jesus didn't just keep a, a safe clinical distance from us where he pointed a finger and diagnosed our problem and then prescribed a solution. He could have done that. He could have kept a safe distance from us, but instead he entered into the mess of our lives. He could have even just come as a fully formed human man, ready to sacrifice his life on the cross, but instead he chose to be born and to live 30 years before we even see any kind of what we would consider significant ministry happening. He chose to enter into our world for 30 years to experience our pain, our frustrations, our disappointments, to experience loneliness and loss, to experience heartache, to experience rejection, all of the things that we walk through in life, Jesus chose to, to put flesh on, to live in our world, to not keep a safe distance from us, but to fully enter into it all. And this is the way of life that Paul is saying that, that we're to pattern our lives after in a way that we let go of so much of our own needs and wants and desires in order to follow Jesus into the way of loving and experiencing life alongside others. But when we enter into other people's worlds, it's painful and messy. It's so much easier to keep a safe distance. It's so much easier to hold people at arm's length. But if we're gonna follow in Jesus's pattern, we have to be willing to let go of our comfort, to let go of our safety, to let go of our point of views, to let go of our need to have our egos boosted up, to let go of our need of self-preservation and protection in order to enter into the pain the reality of other people's lives. But this is the transformational way of Jesus. 
our lives and our world is being made new because God came near and walked with us. And this is the invitation we have, that in Jesus we would draw near to others, to walk with them, to experience life alongside them, to, to see the world through their eyes, to experience their hurts and pains. To not just have a clinical relationship with others where we diagnose their problems, but instead, like Jesus, we come alongside and we embrace the leper. We stoop down to be close to people who are in need. If we're going to follow in the way of Jesus, it's the way of knowing who we are and where our worth and value is. It's the way of emptying ourselves of that need for glory and significance and recognition from others so that we can enter into the lives of the world around us. And then the beautiful picture we get is this this picture of God exalting Jesus, giving him the name that is above every name, that at his name every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God has this way of exalting those who humble themselves. And we see this in Jesus' life that he, he laid himself down. He was treated as, as the lowest of the low, treated as nothing. He experienced death on a cross. He lived a life of downward mobility. That we in the world, we try to climb the ladder of more worth and more recognition, and instead Jesus walked that ladder backwards coming down to be with us, giving up his glory and position so that he could experience our life, could experience the, the most humiliating death that the world could come up with at the time. And as he did this, God exalted him and gave him a name that is above all names. that all would know and recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, what are we expecting out of this life? Are we expecting triumph and victory in this world or the next? Because I think often for myself and people that I interact with, it seems like we expect triumph and victory in this world, and we're surprised when we experience suffering and humiliation. But instead, what we see in Jesus is he expected suffering and humiliation, and then God exalted him afterwards. Would we be a people who aren't surprised by the suffering, the humiliation, the being brought low that happens in this world? 
Instead, would we be surprised when we receive honor and glory? And maybe even a little bit wary of it. Because what we see in Jesus is that's not what this life is about. This life isn't about keeping our hollow self inflated by worth and recognition, but instead it's allowing ourselves to be poured out for the sake of the world around us. Because God has this amazing vision of the world, this, this picture that we get here in Ephesians chapter 2 of one day every person on earth, every created being, every, every uh, power in the world, those spiritual beings, humanity, and all of those who have died, that one day everyone is going to recognize Jesus Christ for who he is that the world will be made new. And that way, the way that that happens is the way of incarnation. Would we follow Jesus's pattern of life in every relationship and every interaction? Would we walk the way of knowing who we are, of emptying ourselves out and entering into the world around us? because we have this vision of one day, every person knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen. Worship team, would you come back on up here and lead us in another song? And in church, would you, if you're able, would you stand this morning and let's once again, just present our lives before Jesus Christ. Jesus, we, we are in awe of the life that you lived. The way that you, who are God himself, you who created us and created everything around us, the way you so willingly laid all of that aside so that you could come and be with us. Lord, we're in awe of your sacrifice for us being willing to be taken advantage of by your creation, being willing to be mistreated and misunderstood by your creation, being willing to be killed by your creation, all so that you could give us a new way of being human, that you could show us what life truly is meant to be all about. And so God, we ask, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would enable us to follow in this pattern of Jesus Christ, that we'd have this very mind among ourselves, this very mind that was in Christ Jesus, who knew who he was and because of that was able to empty himself out on our behalf. Lord, would we choose the way of Jesus and not the way of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Forgive us where we fail, Lord. Forgive us for the times that we have tried to, to keep ourselves inflated. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have tried to climb that ladder, trying to gain recognition in the world's eyes. Forgive us and help us to follow you one rung at a time, 
as we lower ourselves like Jesus Christ was lowered. And God, we look forward to that day when together with all creation, we will sing your praise. And so this morning as we sing, it's with anticipation for that future coming glorious day when all will see you and all will declare that you are Lord. All for the glory of God. Amen.